Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash gender meowster and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Content warnings for this episode include possible discussions of transphobia, bullying, and gender dysphoria. So hi everyone, I'm Gender Master. I use they, them pronouns, and I will let my guest introduce themselves. <laughs> I'm Lee, I also use they, them pronouns. Hi Lee, it's so awesome to have you here. That's cool to be on. Hi. Yay. Hey everyone. Yay. I'm reading you all in chat. All the fun. So Lee... I am so thrilled to have you here. We This isn't the first time that we've spoken or even had you on stream. Yeah. You actually helped a bunch with the WPATH8 work that this community did. You and your, your cuddle spouse. Yeah, cuddle spouse was very helpful for passing all of, through all of the language. Yeah, that was so phenomenal uh, mm -hmm. to have both of you work so hard on that. So I'm She's so grateful her. that we get to have you. We made her blush. Oh, oh, it's so nice to have you on stream and to get to actually interview you about you instead of only the social justice work <laughs> that we did together. Just for starters, before we, we launch into our special interest for the day, I wonder if you could tell us just a little bit about your backgrounds. You shared your name and pronouns, but I wonder, like, what are some of the things that you like? What are some of your special interests? before we dig too deep into your gender history and all that stuff. First of all, here is one of my special interests. This is Squeak, our very first kitty that adopted us. Duh. So his special interest number one, we also have two other cats and a dog. So those always demanding attention. I play games, play a lot of video games and a lot of TTRPG games. I grew up playing video games, so it's always been a thing. Uh, since I was a kid, maybe five or six, uh, we got an Amiga uh, as it progressed from there. TTRPG games I've been playing for about 15 years, maybe. Various games with various different people. And it was inevitable that I was going to wind up writing them <laughs> because that's how my brain works is, oh, it's a new way to tell a story. I resisted it for a while, but no, it was always going to happen. I love reading. I love books. Different types, depending on what mood I'm in. Pick up whatever looks good, really, and read it. I've always been a reader. I was a bit like starting to learn, so I've just kind of been making up for lost time ever since, I think. I like doing some crafty things. I do a bit of wood burning and a bit of leather crafting. Uh, something to do with my hands, because I do a lot of stuff with my head. Yes, writing. And writing. I write a lot. I write stories <laughs> a lot. And, and some creative nonfiction and some blogs. <laughs> I always have a list of projects on my log somewhere in the back of my head of, oh, I could do this and I could do this. Oh, I could do this too. <laughs> Poor Carl awesome. is usually just sitting there on the bed and me just suddenly turning to him and go, Carlos, I had an idea. <laughs> and proceeding to explain in detail whatever random thing my brain has thrown up at me. But no, they, 
I've, I've got a few things that I like to do, and obviously I like getting cuddles for my cuddles. There is a reason we are called the cuddles. It's, yeah, I like to be fairly relaxed. I don't know. I don't get out much because of my disabilities. So I like to be nice and comfy in, in my home and lots of stuff to do. People that come visit when they can, but obviously like that's been mostly internet, but it was mostly internet based anyway. So that hasn't been a huge change. That's about it, I think. Did I miss anything about us? There we go. It's so sweet having you and your spouse both hanging out for the show. <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah, she'll probably make a couple of comments in the background every now and then. <laughs> He's shaking her head, but she can't resist. <laughs> She's trapped yeah. between Squeak and the dog right now. Not quite able to get up to a comfy position because there are animals in the way. <laughs> we bought the biggest bed we could find uh-huh. because we had to get the two of us, a dog, two cats, and then we got a, and then we got a kitten on the same bed. How comfortable the humans are is changeable, uh-huh. but the animals are happy. They like it. That's so funny. So. What are some things that you trace back to your youth that indicated that you might be trans one day? Or how has your relationship to gender evolved over time? It's been an interesting one because I can see it's mostly been hindsight. But there have been a couple of interesting times where I seem to have come and I can see that I came really close to figuring it out and just backed off because I I wasn't quite ready. The stuff, I was always a tomboy and all that kind of stuff, but I also had this allergic rejection of girly stuff Mm -hmm. because it didn't fit. And it wasn't necessarily the stuff that I was doing so much as what it meant. Mm -hmm. So, um, like, I can play with dolls, but I also want to play with my army men who would usually wind up murdering the Barbies somehow. So I play with different things, but... Some of them felt more right than others, and it was really just because of what the, what they symbolized that was the problem. Of course, it took me till I was 30 to figure out any of that, and that's when I eventually came out and realized it. it was my last year of university as well. So I was trying to write dissertations whilst dealing with the realization of what all of this stuff meant and realizing the gender dysphoria that, you know, once you spot it, it's right there and it never goes away and it hurts. But it, it was also me figuring out all of the stuff. Like, why did I occasionally have this urge mm-hmm. to be girly? Why? Mm-hmm. But what was that about? And it was just because I was trying to fit. I spent a lot of my life trying to fit whilst at the same time not quite naturally not fitting so there was always I had a lot of bullying at school it never felt right those times when I tried to be more of a girl and it just took me it was the friends I had really I made some friends not even at uni abroad in my last couple of years at uni where they did stuff like playing with gender a lot mm-hmm. and there was one conversation that I had with one of them, friend Gerard, and we were just talking and we were discussing the idea of me going out in male drag mm-hmm. to a bar. And that conversation latched onto a part of my brain that I'd been locking away for a long time. And 
once I'd acknowledged there was something there, the door was open and out it came. And I had to figure out how to deal with it, get through uni, and then figure out what I was going to do about it. And it turned out to be the best thing. But the knowledge that I could potentially have done it years earlier mm-hmm. is always there. But as far as journey goes, even even after coming out, you never stop the journey, really. You get to explore everything. And that never really stops because mm-hmm. you, you move through life and you have different days and different moments. Realizing I was non-binary was a big one because I had to try and figure out what it meant that I didn't always feel male or masculine and things like that. And it took a while for me to accept that actually, yeah, I can want a beard and also want my nails painted. That's fine. So I do. I, I, I grow a beard and I paint my nails. Oh, well, Carlos paints my nails. Things like that. And when we got married, I had a, I wore, we wore a matching earring, a gangly earring, and I had eyeliner and lipstick, as well as a cape and trousers. It's been a journey, figuring out what actually fits rather than what's supposed to fit. Mm-hmm. And there's been those issues with people like family and certain people I used to know that quietly disappeared from my life. And that sucks. But at the same time, it tells me something about them that is really important for me to know, which is that something like this, they just can't support me for whatever reason. And so if they have managed to quietly exit my life without making a big deal about it, that's fine. Yeah, it's the ones that have gone out in more of a blaze of glory, like my parents did at one point. There was a good couple of years where it was my mum dead naming me and misgendering me and refusing to accept. And I had refused my dad's attempts at. I'd invited my parents to my university graduation mm-hmm. and email from my dad saying, I'm always going to see dead name led to me uninviting them and then a good couple of years where we didn't speak to my dad and my dad eventually came back and said I've been reading the stuff because I had a lot of blogs about it before Mm -hmm. my website died and I had to rebuild it and things like that and he basically said sorry I've been an idiot our relationship with my parents is never going to be amazing but especially the last year or so they've really tried. My nephew uh, came out as trans as well a few years back, which has helped their oldest grandkid. So that's helped. But as soon as my dad came back, my mom started making efforts as well. Mm. And yeah, we're never going to be the best of friends, my parents, but we have a cordial relationship and they have actually made a lot of efforts the past couple of years. But yeah, there was a time when there, there was a long time when they were literally on one more thing and I am done for good but they've done better which is nice yeah journey's been a long one still ongoing still figuring new things out I love seeing other people going through their journeys though I've got pandemic the pandemic lockdowns have done something to people there's been a lot of introspection and the number of friends that I've had for a lot of years have come out and I'm really enjoying seeing and supporting other people's journeys now I'm far enough along in mine. And yeah, so I get injections as well. I never had anything but injections. I started off on injections every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, 
small needle. The nurse that gave me the first one was absolutely determined, despite me telling her it was written on the sheet that comes with it, that it was deep tissue. It's just intramuscular. So she injected it into here, Mm -hmm. right there. I couldn't move this arm for a week. And I'm sat there going, do I have, is it? Is this going to get every two weeks? Is yet? But I went back next time and she apologized profusely, said mm-hmm. she had actually read the thing now and that I was right in the first place and it was supposed to go in my butt cheeks. Mm-hmm. But that didn't raise my testosterone enough. And we had, we had a nine month period where I was doing the thing, getting blood tested before it again, and then they were trying to do other stuff. They put me on one called Nabido, mm-hmm. which they start off giving every 12 weeks, and then I had it every 11 weeks. Now I have it every 10 weeks. And that's mm-hmm. a bit more, that took a bit longer to get used to because it's quite viscous, kind of a little bit gloopy. Mm-hmm. And I learned very early on from a very friendly nurse if you hold it and warm it up, it makes it much easier to get into and therefore out of the knee, mm. which makes it less painful. Mm-hmm. But when you start off, you're likely to get some pains and some muscle spasms and some stinging. Mm-hmm. That will taper off as you keep getting it. Mm-hmm. So you can look forward to being like me, who just takes whichever butt cheek is due this time, because we alternate them. And I move that foot off the floor so there's no muscle pressure on it at all. Gets injected in, a little bit of pain sometimes towards the end. And that's it. it used to be that five minutes after I'd had it, I was trying to walk home and I'd just have this needle stinging in my butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it used to really hurt to come in a lot of time as well. But honestly, it, it you get used to it. Your muscles get used to it. They start to expect it coming every so often and it stops, they stop reacting like that. Your brain basically just gets used to it. This happens every so often. Mm-hmm. So it is a little scary and it can be a little painful at first. Make sure they give it you deep tissue and know that it will get easier. Mm-hmm. And as it gets easier, you'll be getting more and more yourself. So yeah. it works out nicely in the end. Someday this beard will be real. Exactly. <laughs> Look at you, mine. You mentioned before stream that you had to trim four inches of your beard off before stream. Yeah. Yeah. If I don't, <laughs> if I don't shave, it comes all the way down here. That's amazing. And it's quite, it's quite thick and curly <laughs> as well. <laughs> I just get this proper cave person beard on. Bag it up and make wigs out of it. But it's yeah. also nice and soft. I use beard oil at this kind of length. I got some slightly gloopier beard oil when it gets longer and I got wax. I use eczema gel on it as well because I get dry skin under it. But as long as you take care of it, I brush it every day as well, even when it's this short. I've got a couple of ball brushes, one that's really soft, one that's mm-hmm. a bit harder, and I've got a comb. I'm doing that every day. stops it from getting itchy as well. Uh-huh. I spent... I had to teach myself beard care, so I spent a lot of time trying a lot of different things. That's awesome. <laughs> I mostly just have this neck beard that's growing in. That's where it's starting. Yeah, yeah. I have little bitty blondy ones growing in. Yeah. I'm going to have a yeah, good mustache, my barber quickly. tells me. Mine started pretty quickly around here, but it was all patched around here and here, so I couldn't get a straight line in it or anything. Yeah. I just took a bit to grow it. It's, yeah. 
it's still less visible because the hair's like lighter coloured. Yeah, but it's there, and that grows as well. And I have to trim the mustache because it gets down here. And then it I gets, have it gets in your lips. You got to yeah. get it off your lips. And then, yeah, and then, and then one of the one of the hairs I will decide to stick up and tickle my nose as well every time. Yeah, that gets trimmed occasionally while I grow the rest of my beard into a caveman thing. <laughs> but it, it's a lot of fun. Learning learning my own beard care has actually been quite a lot of fun, but I'm also available to give tips if required. That's so fun. So speaking of your beard, so you use they, them pronouns, and you identify yeah. as non-binary. So what is it yeah. like being a non-binary person who, frankly, you could stealth trans mask pretty well if you wanted to? Like, what is that? What is that like? I know. I know that somebody who's looking at me and hasn't been told any different thinks I'm a cis hat guy, Mm -hmm. and that I know that it means that I could pass through easily that way, but I don't want to because I spent three decades hiding myself from myself, never mind anyone else. I don't want to hide. I don't want to be self. I don't want to pass. I know that as trans mask as I am and my fabulous beard and my receding hairline and everything else does paint me as a cis guy, but I hate that. Really, I hate that. I hate that people assume that about me. And whenever we go and we talk to doctors and whoever else, Lex helps me out, give him my pronouns and things like that. Uh, not that they use them, but we try. We, we we tell them and they ignore us, but we try. <laughs> but yeah, there's nothing I can really do about it. I can't go back to being anything else, nor would I want to. I like what I've become and what I'm still becoming, but I really do hate the stealth passing thing that happens. Mm-hmm. It really bugs me, especially because I see other people around me and my friends and people I care about that just can't do that. And and I why do I get to? That seems unfair. But there's nothing I can do about it except keep reminding people that I'm not. Because if someone who looks like this can be non-binary, mm-hmm. then anybody can be. From being what I was to this, then anybody can be whatever they want to be, but still be who they are. Yeah. I was on a Zoom call yesterday with an AFAB person who still presents femme, but uses they, them pronouns. And Mm. we were talking about how challenging it is to be a femme presenting non-binary person. Yeah. Maybe this person is demi-femme or demi-girl or something in that sort of category of a couple steps. If it is a binary binary spectrum, which it really isn't, a couple steps away, Mm. like still looks the assigned gender at birth, but is very much like they, them identified. And mm. they were just talking about how hard it is to have like long curly hair and wear lipstick and use they, them pronouns. And so I was just, I just affirmed for them that like non-binary people don't owe androgyny to anyone just mm-hmm. because we're non-binary doesn't mean we have to be androgynous. It doesn't mean we have to be, you know, one, one end of one binary or another. Right? It's yeah. the whole point it, is that it it's is. not binary. Yeah, the whole point is that it's not even a spectrum. It's just whatever galaxy, bit of the galaxy you want to be in. Because everybody's got their own way of being their own gender. And being trans and non binary is 
it means you've had the chance to really know who you are mm-hmm. and make the effort to become that person. Most cis people don't go through that. Don't go, go through the stage of questioning their gender in the same way because they never need to. Whereas I think that people that do go through that and find themselves either where they were or needing to go somewhere else, they know themselves a little bit more deeply. Mm-hmm. But in some ways that makes it more painful when people don't see who you are. Because mm-hmm. not being seen for who you are is one of the hardest things. Uh, knowing that people around you don't see what's actually underneath whatever whatever you're showing out on the outside, it, that's hard. And of course, non-binary to to the general public, but also to a lot of more binary trans people is androgynous. You've got the male and you've got the female and there's that binary and then you've got the androgynous bit in the middle where the non-binary people live. So someone like me shows up or someone like the person you were talking to shows up and they get really confused because that's not supposed to be a thing. Yeah, But I hear that. It is what it is. And having the wherewithal and strength to be who you are even when people are still telling you you're not and assuming you're something else it's not easy but what's the other option is don't be yourself which which we already did (laughs) i've decided not to so not going back to that Mm -hmm. i will continue to remind the entire world that my beard does not make me male and i will do it as many times as necessary. And I will explain the singular they, them pronoun as many times as necessary, mm-hmm. which is many, but I will. Because if somebody hears that and they understand it, then the next time they meet somebody who uses they, them pronouns and who doesn't look androgynous, they've already got something in their head about that each time they see it, it gets a bit easier to realize it and mm-hmm. to maybe understand the suggestion that waiting until somebody tells you their gender is a better option. Another example of how gender wonderful non-binary can be is I have an AFAB friend who's on testosterone because it helps their brain, but also prefers a more like femme compliments and like totally loves painting their nails and is identified with sort of the sissy gay boy like category of existing is mostly attracted to like gay men and so it's this interesting sort of like almost drag queen aesthetic and just hates everything about being associated with being a man, quote unquote, like a cis man, but takes tea because that's what works for their brain. And so it's this interesting mixing of yeah. genders and things. I love how non-binary people can be choose your own adventure about gender. Oh yeah, always. I encourage other people to have a go at it as well. Because at the end of the day, you explore your gender, you figure out who you are, whether that's cis or trans or non-binary or anything else, agenda, whatever, 
you've had the chance to explore it mm -hmm. and that's good because exploring who you are is a good thing it's good to know who you are it's never a thing that is bad even if you figure out stuff that maybe you didn't want to figure out you then at least have the choice of what to do with it so speaking of exploring gender how have you used writing to explore gender in every possible way i can <laughs> i love writing characters characters that characters drive story and so i love writing the people um, the people in the stories are my main deal so i get very involved in the characters and sometimes i'll start writing a character with an idea of who they are uh they'll tell me i am something very different and i'll have to change their gender make them trans whatever they need when as they become a bit more fleshed out mm -hmm. but in general writing different types of characters i've always loved exploring people that aren't me or people that i didn't realize were me I have one book which will probably never actually see the light of day because I wrote it as it was part biography, part catharsis, and part me realizing I was trans. And the chances are it's going to stay in its hidden file forever. But that book itself has a lot to do with me figuring things out because I figure things out by writing about them. Mm -hmm. If I'm scared of something or I don't understand something, it, well, something's happened, I, I deal with life and stories. So whatever I'm writing, things just tend to pop out <laughs> and I'll deal with stuff in, in the stories. Mm -hmm. uh, so gender things have, yeah, they've got quite a lot over the years. Now I'm always determined that there will always be queer people in my stories and trans people in my stories, just as there should always be people of different cultures, people of color. And mm -hmm. the second thing is describe everyone. Don't just describe the person that differs from the norm. Mm -hmm. Describe everyone in the same way that you describe somebody that's different. That are absolutely important. Either describe them all or describe none of them. Tell everybody's skin color or tell nobody's mm -hmm. and depending on what i'm writing and what it's what it is and what it's for if you tell nobody's then it, it's easier for people to put themselves there and make themselves that person empathy is a little easier if you can imagine it as yourself and it's why if i do give descriptions i tend to do it once this is how i see the character if you're a person that needs that description there you go and then i'll generally leave it and really not refer to it much again because that way somebody can go okay that's that but then put themselves in that place mm -hmm. and then i don't want to take them out of that if somebody managed to do that so mm -hmm. i think it's important to always make it available tell everybody who you've got let people put themselves in where they want so it's, there's a balance in some ways between doing it too much not doing it enough I think the main idea is just describe everyone or nobody because what happens is people only describe somebody who's not a cishet white person. Yeah. That's an awful lot of not good things because it just keeps that as this is normal and here are the people that aren't. 
Yeah, and I've been guilty of it as well, of course. And now I'll give everybody's whatever details they need to give the characterization. And then, yeah, as I said, I'll, I won't refer to it again unless it becomes necessary in the plot somehow. Mm-hmm. And that way, everybody's got whoever they want. Mm-hmm. Because these characters, some of them are very personal to me, but maybe somebody else needs that person to be personal to them. It's not fair for me to just keep that one for myself mm-hmm. when I let these stories out for other people to read. It's, I want them to see themselves and find themselves as well. As much as, you know, putting myself in, I want them to get themselves out of it. Yeah. I love prioritizing diversity and representation in writing. That's so great. It's important in video games, tabletop games, all forms of creative writing, books, novels, comics, all of it. Have you ever come across a situation when writing where the ideas that you have in your head don't come out on paper? And, you know, if so, what do you do when that happens? How do you get around that? Or do you give up for a while? What do you do? goes on in my head is this complex hybrid of various different things. I actually, I wrote a blog about this recently, <laughs> about what goes on in your head when you're trying to write a story, because <laughs> often the question gets asked, do you see in pictures or in words? And things are more complex than that. Not many people can actually say one or the other, and that's it. And I find that I have some weird hybrid of all sorts of stuff that goes on depending on what's happening in the story. So I often have issues getting what's in my head onto the page. That I have that as much as I ever did 10, 15, 20 years ago, really. But all that's happened is I've got better at two things, really. I've got better at finding words for things. I've got better at editing it afterwards. So the biggest thing really is get it out of your head and onto the page. Even if it doesn't describe well, even if it's clunky, what you need is to get whatever's in your head onto the page because fixing it, that comes later. Fixing it is editing. That's what editing's for. Mm -hmm. Getting onto the page, that's what the writing is for. It doesn't matter if it's terrible you make a note that you need to fix that crap and then you move on but being able to do that can be really difficult shutting up that inner editor that just screams at you that was terrible really hard and i'm still bad at that sometimes and i'll get to the end of a story sometimes and i'll just sit there yeah pretty sure that was terrible but then i'll give it to cuddles or someone else and they'll love it because they won't see what i saw so there's that as well is other people are unless they have a particular axe to grind with you, not going to be as critical of what you write as you are. You will always be the one that sees that clunky sentence that nobody else has noticed. So remember that as well. If people are reading your story, they're reading your story. They're not necessarily there to critique line by line and tell you what didn't come out. But the most important thing in writing is to get it written. doesn't matter. If you just write a list of does this and then this happens and then that and you move on, that's fine because you've got that story beat up down on the page and you can fix it later when you come back. 
You've got whole sets of edits you have to go through yet to correct all sorts of stuff. If you write something that's bad, it's all right. Tag it and come back. You'll be doing that anyway. Just make yourself a note. I always come out of books with pages worth of notes of stuff I need to come fix. And that's okay. You know, I need to fit. I, I fix plot holes. I fix a description that may be changed, a gender that changed, something else that was completely different, something I forgot about entirely, <clears throat> something that I've read back and gone, I have no idea what that just said. Mm. I have to figure out what it was meant to say. <laughs> mm -hmm. It happens, but that's where edit editing comes in. Writing, that's just words on a page. That's all. That's, that's all you got to do. Undo the bit of your head which critiques everything as it goes that takes some practice though but mm -hmm. that's the best way to do it how do you keep your motivation going especially during a long project like writing a novel i'm seeing people in the chat writing that a terrible finished novel is better than any novel that's unfinished it seems like actually finishing a novel is like a huge challenge <laughs> understandably you know, so many people step out to write a novel and never get it finished mm -hmm. how many people sit there and never even start if you manage to write an entire novel, it doesn't matter if it sucks. You've done something that most people can't do. And the thing about writing a bad novel is that the next one you write will be better. Because writing in particular is one of those things you learn as you go. Mm -hmm. And the more you write, the more you learn how to write. So the second thing you write will never be as bad as the first. The third thing you write will be better than the second. It's just how it works. Mm -hmm. We progress as we do it. Keeping motivation up during a long project is something I have trouble with. It is because between my chronic pain issues and mental health issues and insomnia as well, I tend to bounce around a little bit. One of the things I do is I always have two or three different things coming down the pipe. So I'll have different things and there'll be different things from each other. They won't be related at all, really. And it means that if I'm going, okay, I was going to do this, but my brain is not doing that today. That's okay, because I can still do this. And if all I do is 20 minutes of one of them, that's a success. Mm -hmm. If I'm having a rough day and that's what I manage, 100 words, no problem. I'm okay with that. That's fine. It's partially just about giving yourself permission to be kind to yourself. Sometimes, especially if you struggle with various different issues like I do, it's easy to just say, I just can't do it. I can't do it, and so I'm not doing it. And then you teach yourself that you can't do it. Instead, if you can get to okay, I can't do loads today, but if I can do this much, then I've done some. Mm -hmm. And if I keep doing this much every day, then it will eventually get finished. And the thing is, this is what I get done on a bad day. On a better day, you get a lot more done. Mm -hmm. And rewarding yourself for the bad, for getting the things done on the bad days is a good idea. Mm -hmm. You've got to acknowledge when you've actually had a victory and doing the creative thing or the writing thing or whatever it is when you're having a bad day and it's really hard to do but you did a bit of it anyway that's a victory always so it's really just set yourself scheduled times if you can 
find a time of day where your brain's working at its most creative. Might be in the morning, might be late afternoon, before you go to bed, whenever that is. Mm-hmm. Find that time, do the trial and error until you hit on it, and then schedule it in your phone. It mm-hmm. could be every day. I call nonsense on the people that say you need to do it every single day mm-hmm. because they are very privileged people who can do it every single day. I can't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I can do it for five days in a row, but then I'm done and I, I have a day where I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. You can take a break. Breaks are fine. If you need a day off, you take a day off. Mm-hmm. I, I, what I do these days is I set myself two or three days a week where I try and pick up something. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll manage to do it other days as well, but I always set myself a bit of time after I get up, have my morning coffee to do something on one of my projects. As long as I've done something on those days, I'm fine. But if I have a day where I really can't do anything, that's okay. Because if I've kept up with doing something, even if it's something small on the other days, then that one day, that's just a blip. Mm -hmm. And it's all right. What I need then is a little self-care instead of a little creativity. That's fine. Don't beat yourself up too much. As soon as you start doing that, you're going to start going in the wrong direction. Reward yourself for the little victories and be kind to yourself when you're having an off day. That's what gets your things done. I feel like streaming has a similar level of discipline that's needed, that balance between showing up even when you don't know what you're going to say. So like there there is a certain demand on my creative abilities when I'm cre- when I'm doing a stream. Like I have to think of what to say to the audience. I have to choose what I'm going to stream for the day, even if it's just playing a video game. Like coming up with unique commentary on what the heck I'm doing when I've been playing the same game for 30 hours is like challenging. It's hard to think of what's entertaining and interesting for people to think about or consume while I'm playing this game that I've been playing for four weeks or whatever. And I do have days personally where I just get burnt out and I just need to sleep. I just need to be at rest and not be trying to be entertaining. So it's interesting hearing about your creative process and just thinking about yeah, how challenging it is to show up and how sometimes there is that fatigue as a fellow disabled person trying to do creative things in the world. Like there are times when I just need, I'm just out of spoons and I just can't. All weekend I was in my bed asleep. Like I probably slept like 10 or 12 hours both nights. It was just, I just needed the rest. We had a big charity stream last week and it was awesome. And it was so many spoons and I just crashed out all weekend because it just took everything to do that extra stuff. And I appreciate what Juliet and Maddie said in the chat. And writers get unlimited chances. Y'all streamers have to do it in a single take. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. There's yeah, like extra pressure when it's live. Like you have to be on time. Yeah. I'm never on time. I'm I'm sorry, everyone. I'm never on time. It's just like, <laughs> it's my Achilles yeah. heel. If you, I'm too neurodivergent to be on time. My time management, it's not great. But once we're live, it's a good time. <laughs> okay. So we've had a couple of AMA questions in the Discord server that I want to bring in now. So for Lee, what does a typical writing session look like for you? And there's even more questions pouring in, but I'll just, I'll start with that. What is, tell us, do you have more about your process you want to share 
And does it vary if you're writing a tabletop game versus a novel versus a yeah. blog post? Where yeah, what, what is I'm the variation? Doing, it, it can look very much the same, but what's going on is very different. You usually write on, we've got a laptop and I've got a tablet, and I write on both of those. I rarely write on my phone just because my phone is mostly used for faffing around things, playing games and all that kind of stuff. Whereas I don't on the laptop and the tablet. I've got a computer which I play video games on console. So I relate those more to being able to do work. So that's the thing for a start. And I get I have my coffee. I've got a little table that goes over my lap, which I write on. So getting these things out says to my brain, you're going to do something creative. So that's how I start off. And I might sit there for a few minutes. Sometimes I'm deciding what I'm doing. Sometimes I'm just zoning out slightly and drinking my coffee. But once I'm in position, I'm doing something before I leave. And what it is might be different from what I plan to do. Or some days I literally will not be able to decide what I'm going to do. And so I will ask Cuddles what to do. Mm -hmm. And then she'll tell me what to do. And then I'll go do that. <laughs> oh, you should write more about this. You should do about that. That's always helpful. <laughs> A little bit of outside nudging. Mm -hmm. So that's always helpful. But when I start, I get pretty blind to everything else. I start going because I'm hearing and seeing all sorts of stuff in my head. Then I'm trying to get from here to there mm -hmm. without losing it in between. Mm -hmm. I get I can get a bit focused at times. And then other times my brain will just be like, no, I don't want to focus today. Let's look at this up on the internet. Um, oh, those are the frustrating days when I know I've got something that I can do, but wrestling my brain's energy into the right place can be a chore. For that, I've got some, pro I've got a couple of programs that I use. There's one uh, program that I use, let me double check the name of it. It's basically one of, one of your standard blocker programs, but it's basically, uh, you tell it how long to block you for from using stuff on your phone. Oh, it's just called forest. And bit by bit, it grows you a little forest. So for those 20 minutes that it's going, it'll start growing its little tree. By the end of it, you'll have a bit of a tree. And that's good. So that works on some days. Other days, I need a push. So what I need is a sprint. So I'll set the time and off I go. Sometimes it helps me to talk about it with cuddles a bit. Sometimes what I do is just make notes and I'll spend some time thinking about what I could write, what else might go on in this story, what I could blog about and things like that. But at the end of the day, once I'm in place, then I'm there for at least a 20 minute block. Even if I don't get much done, even if it's mostly thinking and wrestling my brain a little bit, as long as I've been there and I've tried, I'm okay. I haven't failed, but a little victory. So I've learned in those moments to say, well done on getting there and doing whatever bits I did. And it's fine. Mm -hmm. You can continue next time. And that's okay. A lot of it, a lot of it just involves being kind to yourself about stuff. When you mm -hmm. haven't done whatever target you set yourself or you haven't done it then, you haven't done enough. And all of that kind of stuff is really unhelpful. The best thing you can do is acknowledge where your limitations are 
And once you've got that, remember to be kind about it when you hit them. So being kind to myself has been much more productive than trying to beat myself on has I ever managed. Trying to drive myself on when I can't never really works in the end. And for some people it does, and I know people that do that, but it really doesn't for me. It just burns me out real quick and I stop wanting to do it. I still want to enjoy what I'm doing. And there's no point doing it if I'm not enjoying it. That's mm-hmm. sort of the point. That's why it's a hobby. That's why I do it. And I hope other people enjoy reading it when I'm done. But first and foremost, I need to like what I'm doing. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So I like to model self-kindness on stream as well. I give myself do-overs sometimes if I misspeak, if I catch myself using casual ableism or if I'm if I get going so fast that I like can't get my words to go in a line. <laughs> like the ducks are everywhere. They're not in a row. They're everywhere. And so I wonder if you've ever considered having writing streams where you have a study hall or office hours where you're on stream but you're doing your creative writing process and people can maybe tune in to the stream to also do their writing process. We ha- So we maybe, I don't know if the audience knows this, but we actually have in the Discord server, we have a writer's space that you moderate. And I'll drop the, the link in the chat here in case anyone wants to join that server. That it, and then I went, hey, me Alistair, could we have this? I'll mod it. <laughs> yes, which is so wonderful. But as you were talking, I was just imagining how interesting or fun it might be to have a study hall type stream where you're on stream, but the whole purpose of the stream is to hold space for this writing process. You mentioned doing a writing sprint. And I'm also curious, someone asked in the chat about writer's block. And I know you already talked a little bit about the struggle between translating from brain to page. But I wonder if using those sprints and having streams about sprints. Yeah, I'm just I'm curious about that as an option. I have done study hall streams before. We also had our WPATH 8 streams that we did, but I've done streams where it's, I'm just going to throw the stream up on a time that I'm not normally scheduled because I want some company and some accountability while I'm like working on this project and my brain doesn't want to do the thing. But then if I'm on stream, then it's, I can't just wander off and go heck off because there's three people watching me. (laughs) So I have to actually do the thing that I set out to do. Yeah. I'm curious if you've thought about that or what your thoughts are about that. I haven't thought about doing a stream like that, but actually that sounds like a decent idea, actually. That would probably be pretty cool. And the writers chat there, one of the, we're going to start doing a few fun things. One of them is writing prompts, but another one is writing sprints. But in some of the, some of the sprints I'm planning on doing some kind of regular ones or at least scheduled ones during the week, depending on when I'm free and stuff for the writing prompts. I could set aside some specific time to stream so that folk who might otherwise struggle with finding the time for it can sit with me while I do the prompt. Cuddles finds that much easier. If I'm writing while she's writing, she finds it much easier to focus. Otherwise, she'll be zoning out, watching whatever game I'm playing, anything else. But if I'm here writing, she writes much better as well. That's a good idea, actually. If you guys there in the chat would be interested in me doing that, then definitely. I can look at that. Yeah, we have at least two people that have said that they love 
but watching someone else do their creative process helps them with theirs and that they can't wait for that as an option. Maybe that three people a, will be interested. That is a yes. Go join the writer's chat in the Discord if you're interested and I will talk with Cuddles about setting someone that up. What do you think, Cuddles? Cuddles agrees. Nice. Let me give your Twitch channel a shout out in the chat right quick so folks can go drop you some follows. It doesn't it doesn't really exist yet. There's nothing there at the moment, but there will be. Um this sounds like it's gonna be the first thing that will be. Nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah. planning doing some one shots of indie TTRPGs as well, so keep an eye for that as well, if that's of interest. Tabletop things is a whole pile of questions that I have for you. I wonder I, I want to be mindful of your spoons. We still have at least four writing, re- just writing generally related questions. How are you feeling with the flow of things? Do you want to switch to tabletop? Do you want to keep talking about writing in general? Good. If people want to keep talking about writing, I can keep talking. Once okay. you get me talking, I will talk forever. <laughs> well, sometimes it takes me a minute to start, but once I start, I'm done. Everybody's in trouble. I love that. Yeah. Um, emphatically. She knows. She's the one that has to listen to it every day. (laughs) Another additional option with this sort of group writing space is if you wanted to have a a weekly writers discord gathering, like we could set up a channel. It can either be public or private for the writers to hang out and just like everyone jump in the discord call and write and do your thing. We could even make sure that you have the permissions to set up events that are seen at the top of the Discord server so that people can know it's coming and all of that. Yeah, there's ways that, that we could use multiple spaces for that. So there's the Discord server, there's your Twitch channel. I think both would be interesting if you figured yeah. out a, a rhythm of that to invite others yeah. into that process. That sounds cool. We will talk more about that on the for the Discord, because that does sound cool as well. And I will talk with Cuddles about streaming stuff. Because, yeah, if I have regular times, then I'm pretty good. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorted. I can know that I'm doing that at this time every week. And yeah. I'm good to go. Well, uh, thank you for the follows. Very kind. Everyone's so great. For you and anyone else who's interested, I have made my production guides for doing streams and making a Discord server and all of that. Pay what you want on Ko-Fi so you can mm-hmm. pay nothing. You can decide to just subscribe for five dollars a month or whatever you can pay the suggested price yeah that is exactly what i did was i downloaded it for free and then i subscribed so you're still getting money from me it's regular money it's super it was very thoughtful of you to do that it helps me i i pay a handful of content editors and sort of administrative folks to help the discord go and to help make the promos for all the streams and things. And I actually have never broken even on a month of streaming. I'm constantly operating at a loss. So any contribution folks can make, especially on platforms like Ko-Fi and Patreon, just really helps. Yeah, we've got a goal on Patreon if you want to go see just how much of a loss we're taking every month. You can go find out. <laughs> but yeah, it's I'm so grateful for everyone just being supportive of the arts, right? Like this is an art form. It's a new art form, making a podcast and doing a stream and hosting a live community, but it's a pretty cool experience. I love it. So you've talked a little bit about some of this, but I wonder if you can speak more uh, specifically about how, as a writer, you deal with writer's block. 
Well, that depends. Once upon a time, I would run away from it mm -hmm. and pretend it didn't exist and then just stopped writing for a while until it went away. But that's really unhelpful because not writing affects my mental health. Mm -hmm. It's a weird thing. If I'm writing, then I guess I'm working stuff through that I'm just some, somehow not. If I'm not, I don't know. But there's something about it where if I'm not writing, my brain gets worse. So I have to write. So knowing that, figuring that out was helpful. If I'm blocked on a project, then I've always got something else I can write, and that often helps. But I find that by this point, having spent most of my life writing stories, my subconscious is working everything out in the background as I go. Mm. So if I hit a stopping point where I've run out, then if I, I can leave it for a few days, and then I've got a whole nother chunk coming out, ready to go. And I find that very helpful. I'll get an idea, it'll sit in the back of my head, and then it, and then it will emerge ready to be written. It doesn't mean I don't get blocked, but it does mean that it's a little easier to manage when I do. I trust my subconscious by this point that it will work through whatever I'm stuck on. And sometimes it does just mean I'm going to leave that for this week. I'm going to work on this where I know what's coming next or start some, or doing this new thing or doing something entirely non-writey or whatever it is. Figuring out what my brain actually needs is usually what cures the block because I might just need a break. I might need a break from that type of story to write something different. I might need to write something else. I um, might need to just break entirely and do something with my hands and create creative with my hands things like that and it does just depend on exactly why i'm feeling blocked <clears throat> but i found that there's always a reason and figuring out what reason it is always the way around it just sitting in one spot and going well i have writer's block has never helped <laughs> never ever helped but yeah, digging into my brain a bit, figuring out what's the problem, or if I can't figure it out, then just try all the different things. Eventually, I get to what my brain's actually saying, oh, but please do this for me, and then you can go back to that. And that's what's usually happening, is my brain just asking for a break or for something else, or sometimes even telling me that this story is not working this way, mm -hmm. and I need to go back and redo some stuff or rewrite some bits or change some bits going forward, which is fair. But I have learned to trust that my brain has a reason for going, mm -mm, can't do that now. Mm -hmm. And basically figuring out what it is. And that has always worked. The only projects I've not finished are projects I've chosen not to finish or things that have been taken over by something else. But I've never dropped a project through, through writer's block. So I maybe should have asked this at the top of all the writing questions, but how long have you been doing creative writing? Pretty much ever since I learned how to write stories as a kid. I used to write little stories when I was six, seven. I'm now 38. Mm -hmm. So I've got about three decades of story writing under my belt. It means I have been through all of the things and figured them out on the other side somehow. And I'm still going because I still love it. So I'm curious how you 
How do you write the ending of a story? How do you tie everything together and decide something's finally oh, done? Endings are the bane of every writer's life. Get my drink refilled by the cutting. Yeah, endings endings are the bane of every writer. One thing which actually always sticks out to me, and I've always remember I always remember this is. Um, I started very young reading adult horror novels. I started with Stephen King, and King wrote the Dark Tower novels, and they took him a good twenty years to write. In part because they were so they were really hard for him to write. When he got to the final novel, there's a point where he stops and says, "You can end this here." You can stop reading right here and have this ending rather than the ending that I've written him, just onwards. And then he gets to the ending that he's written. And it's because people spent 20 odd years looking for an ending for this book mm. or this series of books. Mm -hmm. And he knows that a lot of people are going to be mad about it because they always are. Mm -hmm. And I always found it quite interesting that he did that he just stopped at the end of one scene and said you don't have to read on from here there is an ending but it's my ending mm -hmm. you can have your own ending if you want mm -hmm. now obviously i went on and read it and honestly i love the ending mm -hmm. i thought the ending was fantastic but i can see just people that were looking for something different getting really angry that they spent 20 years on this book series and then just getting something that they don't want mm -hmm. people are pretty people go a bit they go a bit hard when it comes to endings of things you can't you can't not see it anything that ends any book series any tv show any series of movies anything that ends people are unhappy about how it ended mm -hmm. really unhappy about how it ended mm -hmm. and then others love it so endings are tricky because it's easy to start thinking about what somebody else is going to want to see at the mm. end after getting through that. But that I find is a really good way to stop it from happening. If you get really self-conscious about the ending, you're going to write a bad ending. I know because I've done it. I've written terrible endings to things. After writing something pretty good before it, ended terribly. And I know exactly which things I've written, which have done that, but I've learned from them. And I have learned that setting aside my self-consciousness over what somebody else is going to think of the ending is really important because otherwise I get stuck on it. And at the end of the day, whatever story I've got going, it continues and it continues beyond the ending. All, I, all you're doing is you're choosing a point in time and saying, this is a good way to, place to stop. Mm -hmm. Unless you're literally destroying the universe, it carries on afterwards. Mm -hmm. So go until you find an actual place to stop. That's all. It does make me really bad at judging how long stuff I'm writing is ever going to be. I'm terrible at that because I will keep going until I get done. But I find that's the best way to do it for me. Instead of sitting and going, okay, it has to stop. This has to happen, and then this, and then this. Go, yeah. keep going, keep going, and you'll find a point where your characters say, "Okay, you're done telling my story now. I'm going to carry on," and that that really works. But 
obviously that process doesn't work for everyone. The biggest thing is not thinking about other people in it. Mm-hmm. Because you've written this whole book yourself or this whole story yourself. Ending it is very personal. Endings are very personal. That's why people get so hit up about them. But that means that it, your ending is personal to you. Mm-hmm. And so only you really know the best way to end your own stories. Finding that bit of bit of info in your brain, that's the thing to do. Even if it takes a few tries, you can rewrite endings as many times as you need. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. You can separate them from the main text and write until you find the right one. And then there's your ending. It doesn't have to be right the first time. You can fix it in editing. And at the end of the day, you need to like how you've ended things. Because if you don't, then what are you giving to other people? So if it takes a few tries, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And the fun thing about writing yourself a book or a story is you get to do it and you get to choose what's what and what things mean and what ridiculous things are in your universe and you can end it how you like. Mm-hmm. If what you want is a fairy tale happy ending, you write yourself one of those. It doesn't matter what anybody else might think about it. You write what fits with your book and that'll work. You love that. One of the questions from the audience is, what was your first story? As I said, I was really young when I started writing, so I do not remember in the slightest, but I do have a story that Carlos loves. <laughs> yeah. When I was about seven or eight, mm-hmm. um, we had an assignment in creative writing class, which was to write a poem about an insect. Mm-hmm. So little tiny me wrote a cute poem about a daddy long legs that had lost its glasses I was trying to find a way to the opticians because you know how daddy long legs, they always look like they're drunk. I decided it was because they were just blind and this daddy long legs needed new glasses and was trying to find its way there. And my teacher liked it so much that I had to go round to every class in the school and read it to them. I think my fear of public speaking started there. <laughs> it's a very cute story of little me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that that's the first thing I remember writing, honestly. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything else, but that memory is, that one stuck. That's so nice. Another question from the audience is, what story have you written that surprised you the most? I'm thinking one of the books I wrote in my late teens, early 20s was called To Tame the Wolf. And... It was about a young girl who was very much a Mary Sue of me at the time, who got turned into a werewolf. And on being turned into a werewolf, she came into contact with this kind of world behind the world, where this group of loosely knit people of various different powers or whatever came together and used what they had to protect the rest of the world from bad stuff happening. Demons and witches and all that kind of stuff. It was very urban fantasy. And I used to write in a cafe bar in Nottingham when I lived there. 
and I was there writing away, tapping, tapping, tap. And I was halfway through the next paragraph before I registered that I just killed a main character. And I stopped and I cried in the middle of this cafe bar <laughs> over my character dying. It was, mm. yeah. It, because I tend to, when I'm writing, I, I'm, I'm just flowing forwards. If my flow's on, I'm gone. So mm -hmm. it took me a minute to register what I just did. And then mm -hmm. I go really sad about it. I'm a little bit better now at paying attention to what I'm writing, but every so often some of that will happen. And I'll have to backtrack and go, wait, what did I just do? Mm -hmm. What did you just do? <laughs> to my characters. Because they've just done something without telling me first. Mm -hmm. It happens. Yeah. So I have one more question about writing for you, and then I mm -hmm. want to invite us to take a quick bio break, and then we can talk more about tabletop things and projects you have coming up in the future and all of that. Yeah. So my last writing question, of course, we'll talk more about writing with tabletop games. <laughs> but my next question is, what is your favorite book that you've ever written, and who would you ask to do the audiobook of it? Favorite book I've written was... It was an anthology, actually. It was the last thing I actually managed to release as, in book form, which was a few years back now. It was an anthology called The Rotten Core, and it was basically a bunch of rewritten fairy tales that I had written over the course of a decade or so, plus one or two of my own. And some of them got very dark and disturbing, very much like the originals, mm. but I'd taken the sanitized versions and rewritten those into disturbing versions all over again. So that's basically what's in that book. That, there's one story in that book where, and given the reaction in chat, I think somebody else is going to really enjoy this. I, did, I read it Sleeping Beauty. I had fallen at the time for a lady who I had association with through work. And I'd fallen for her quite hard. And she was married to a gentleman that was somewhat abusive. Hmm. And I couldn't do anything about it. Hmm. So instead of feeling completely helpless, I turned her into Sleeping Beauty and made her a transgender prince to rescue her because I couldn't do that in real life. That story still means quite a lot for me. A lot of the stories in that book are quite personal. They were often written in tough times. And I always loved fairy tales as a kid. I always read the originals. And the, fir the first book I ever released was written literally because I saw an advert for Cinderella 2 and had a huge rant about trauma. And then I wrote another version of it. So fairy tales are really important. And Rotten Core was just, it was these that I'd written and I went through and re-edited them, but I kept the stories the same. And they were just mostly written during times of trauma and so they came out really dark i really liked them so i put them all together into this anthology and uh, that's currently my favorite book and one thing i really love actually with that is to have a different person read every story mm. that would be really cool that is something i cannot at all afford because paying people and stuff but that would be really cool and I know a number of voiceover artists, and there's others that I just think are really good. So Cuddles, of course, would need to do one because I love Cuddles reading. We read to each other, and I love Cuddles reading to me. I've got some friends as well. Uh, a lady called Tracy Clifton 
does some great voiceover work, does a lot with a podcast called Earbud Theatre. Mm-hmm. It's primarily a slightly scary po- podcast, so go in carefully, but she does a lot of good characters and she loves them. Throws herself into everything that she does. It was amazing. Another lady I know, Amelia Tyler, she's been coming up pretty fast the last few years through voiceovers in indie games, and she's got her way into stuff like the Pathfinder games and things like that. And she she's barely recognizable in every role. She's completely different and really good at what she does. So she's another one. Another friend I have, America Young. She does just about everything. She acts, she produces, she's a stunt director, but she also does voiceover. She is, in fact, do you know the YouTube Barbie channel? That's my friend, America. She voices Barbie. Nice. And when Ken shows up, that's her husband, Dove. <laughs> and she's voicing Batgirl in the video game that's coming out, hopefully this year. Nice. Again, just somebody who is very talented and very good at what she does. Mm-hmm. Friend I mentioned earlier, Gerard Marzilli. Again, just very good at what he does. He's a great actor and he's got a great voice. I definitely took him into one of them. And, and now we get into fan casting. One of my favorite voiceover artists is Alex Wilson Raven. Uh, it's got to the point where I can recognize her in a game when I hear her voice. Because uh, she's done stuff like she was a female inquisitor in Dragon Age Inquisition, things like that. So she's done a lot of stuff that I've really enjoyed, basically. So I've worked up where I, I can recognize her voice, even when it's disguised. <laughs> the other lady, Eliza Pearl, she is, again, great actor, great singer, great voiceover stuff. And I have to add on to the end of that, Jennifer Hale, because Femme Shep, Mass Effect, Sam Shep, Jennifer Hale, always. Love it. And possibly like Linda it. Carter. <laughs> because Wonder Woman. That's okay, I'm done with fantasy now. <laughs> I would love to be able to do something like that with that book. Is all. Um, it's unlikely to ever happen, but it's a dream. I'd love to get just all these different people to read these stories. That would be awesome. I love it. So you have an itch.io page that you use to distribute your tabletop. Thing. I do it on a Friday. Because nice. We brand new. The first Team Cuddles Productions game and also a brand new system. A game and a new system on Friday. We spent all last week putting it all together. Cuddle spent all last week drawing frantically as I tried to put everything together and do final edits and design a layout and everything. Yeah, we, we spent all last week doing that. Got it out just after midnight our time on Friday. So there is now an itch page that has it's got it's got gambit which is the new system it's a card system very simple very adaptable kind of modular that you can with three different levels of intensity depending on how role play or technical you want to be i worked really hard on that but it was because cuddles asked for her birthday last year me to run a really tropey superheroes game so I did. I made a really tropey superhero scenario. We have superheroes in this group that call themselves The Nest. There's a whole backstory to this universe as to how the world got kind of messed up again by people that were trying to fix it, but it failed. And <laughs> this city, which is protected by this group called The Nest, and they've been around for decades. And every time a member dies or retires, they replace them with somebody else. And of late, they've been getting bored, actually, because 
they're so good that they're stuck now chasing down petty criminals for the police. Mm-hmm. There's nobody bothers to come challenge them anymore until one night when, as everybody is sleeping, an army of mechs and hench people and superpowered commanders march out of the river directly to all the important places in the city and take control of them. At the same time? Oh, yeah. Very well done. Very well thought out. Absolutely ridiculous, as tropey superhero stories should be. Mm -hmm. Doesn't necessarily have to make sense, which is good because it doesn't. Don't think too hard about it. It's a tropey superhero story. And then the tropey superheroes have to go and fix everything. So we've got tropey superheroes getting to be all cheesy in their primary colors. And we've Mm -hmm. got a supervillain who gets to make her big supervillain speech. (laughs) And lots of hence people, superpower commanders and mechs to destroy on the way. It was a lot of fun. And I just, I really liked it. And I really liked Gambit. And so I was halfway through putting this together and... I just sat here and I think I'd like to release this once it's done. So I did. It took a bit of time to actually get around to doing it properly, but there it is now. On the itch page, you've got just Gambit by itself. So you can pick up that card system and all you need are some decks of cards, which you can get online. We tend to use the Roll20.com. That's all you need is some playing cards. You've got Gambit and it can pretty much fit any game or any scenario you want it to which was the point because I plan on writing more scenarios for it and then there's the nest which is the whole game ready to play all the characters are ready character sheets maps everything is ready to go you can pick it up and play it with Gambit as well so Gambit is the system and then the yeah. nest is like a a pre-written story yeah. for GMs who want to start with something that's already been that's play tested right. a little bit yeah, and it's got it's got a fairly well described background universe to it as well. So it's one of the it's something you could pick up and play more of. I put in the character creation there as well, which again is just two step character creation. So it's really simple mm-hmm. if you want to make your own. But everything that I made is in this bundle you know, with Gambit as well. That's amazing. Uh, so we put, we put we put that up on Friday. That's so great. I in the background we had talked about how this talk show is going to give you a deadline to work towards to get your tabletop yes. game published. It did. We scheduled me for the 17th and I was like, 14th, that's my deadline. You did it. I regretted that at a few points last week, but we did it. You, you pulled it off. You did it. That's so wonderful and, and exciting. Awesome. And I'm, really, I'm really proud of what, of what, not just of getting it up, but I'm really proud of the thing itself. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's really good, which is not a usual thing for me to say. <laughs> Usually I'm the opposite. But no, I actually think we got something really good. And it's the first thing we've put out as a duo. Mm-hmm. Team Cuddles Productions. And this is our first release. That's my next question is, so you had superheroes for the first Gambit game. What's the next one? I don't know yet. Our next project is going to be a book. Awesome. Because... We've both been spent the last couple of years doing writing prompts every fortnight. And we're going to pick our favorites and put them in a book and publish that. So it'll be like a a compilation of short essays. 
Yeah. No, short stories. Short stories. I'm writing from, yeah. Nice. Half of Cuddles, half of mine. Uh, so as to what's going to be next for the TTRPG, I'd like to work on Void Watchers, but as I said, that's really big, so that'll be a bit of a while. So I may, in between times, either pick up something else or Cuddles has a birthday again this year, so I'm sure she'll ask for another game. Maybe that, whatever that happens to be, we'll see. Uh, but something will hit me at some point and I'll be like, okay, that's the next one and I'll make it. So I can't I can't always predict when that's, when the next thing or a specific thing is coming, but I can usually tell you what projects are coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's Void Watchers and there's this book and there's a new book of my own that I started writing as well. Awesome. So you mentioned that you use cards, and it's interesting that you're using cards instead of dice. So you just use a regular deck of playing cards. Yep. Could you explain a little bit about that mechanic and why you chose it? Yeah. So the cards you need is every player gets a deck and the GM gets a deck. You can do it online. That way you have no issues getting enough decks together. But you can alternatively uh, shuffle together a couple of decks for the players and one for the GM. And then each of the players gets a hand of five, which they have to keep loaded from their own deck. So anytime they play a card, they replace it from their deck. The GM doesn't get a hand because the players are the ones that get to do the tactics. If the GM had a hand, it would be tilted too much in the GM's favor. The GM just gets to draw whatever's on top of the deck and decide what to do with it. And essentially, what you do is depends a little bit on which level of technical you've got. So there's the fully role-playing version where you don't have hit points and the GM and the the player role-play anything that happens to the character. So the character gets shot, the GM will decide where, and then the player will role-play that. If the GM says you've been shot in the shin, then you get to be shot in the shin. And you now know you've been shot in the shin. The second level is... I have a kind of a body silhouette and a character sheet with a little text box so you can type in what the injury is and also a yellow and a red checkbox. So if you get hit in the head once, you write in head injury, check the yellow box. If you get hit in the head again, you check the red box and then you're unconscious. Hmm. Unless you have permadeath in your game, which you can have, and then you're dead. But we don't tend to do permadeath much. Uh, so it tend, we'll tend to be just out of commission. The highest level of technical has you doing that stuff, plus drawing some cards to give you your health points at the start of a session. So you draw a number of cards, add them all together, and that's your hit points. So it, that depends entirely on what level of detail you want to go into about it. We like role play. Some other people, some others in a group like a bit more technical, and so base testing it with them. I came, I decided to just give three different options because that makes it more accessible to everyone. And the gameplay itself is pretty simple. You have your, as a player, you have your deck of cards. You want to do an action. You put down a card that you hope is going to be a higher number than the GM draws. So if you put down a seven, and the GM draws a six, you've succeeded. You have, when you play a picture card, you get the option to play another card on top of it or use it as a bonus. The GM will give you something good for having that picture card. And if you get a Joker, you get a special present. 
something good happens. Basically. It's like getting a nat. Yeah. Nice. You joke with your nat twenty. You pull that. Whatever you're doing, it succeeded. You pull a picture card. You can either use it as a standard card, but you can put another one on top of it, or you can ask for something nice from the GM to from the GM to happen. Mm. Uh, that's it's simple, but the tactics can get pretty deep depending on how you play it. And especially if you're playing it with the most technical, with the hit points and everything, it can get quite technical. So that's why it's pretty modular. So all the different bits of how the game works can be changed, added to, hacked, pulled back on, however you like, which is really important to me because I know that a lot of what keeps people from tabletop RPG gaming is the complexity. Mm-hmm. The games that people tend to hit first are like Dungeons and Dragons. Which... Yeah, Dungeons and Dragons culture aside, the game itself, I can't stand it. It takes forever. Mm-hmm. I just sit here going, uh, am I playing this? I mm-hmm. hate this. I just, I really don't like the system. The same for Pathfinder. It's exactly the same. It's you mean math? So compl- you mean math? <laughs> yeah, Pathfinder. It's just so complicated. <laughs> I have this calculus, so I can't count. Mm-hmm. And I also struggle to remember the extra bits and pieces. So if I've got a bonus there and a bonus there and a minus there, I'm, I forget them all. Mm-hmm. I, I have no idea. I need somebody to prompt me. Otherwise, I forget everything. Or it takes me 10 minutes to twirl through my sheet just to remember. I can't deal with those games. I just can't do it. So I want something simple. But I also understand that other people like technical. So mm-hmm. Gambit was made so that it could be really easily adaptable to whatever you need or whatever your group wants. You can find a happy medium and it's there so you can hack it. You can hack it into whatever you need it to be. That's the whole idea behind it. In fact, Cuddles and I have a TTRPG game that we are going to be building that we are hacking Gambit in order to use. It's a game, I don't know if any of you folk know, a writer called Gail Carragher wrote uh, Parasol Protectorate bunch of other books, really good steampunk books, uh, really good supernatural steampunk, and very queer-friendly. The last, not the last one, the one before, made me cry because there was a trans vampire who became the hive queen of the house. Nice. Yeah. And she's grown up a lot around trans and queer people herself. She's straight. She's cis herself, but she's grown up around so many of us that it just naturally comes into her work. And so they're very queer friendly and they're very good books and they're very easily readable books. And the universe is really cool. And one day something was said and then me and Cuddle sat there and went, you know what? We could make a game out of this. And so I, I asked Miss Gail very nicely and she said, absolutely. As long as we make no money off it, obviously. Yeah. She's happy for us to make a game. It kind of got put on the back burner because of life stuff, but we're bringing it back. And especially now we have Gambit to go. Yeah, we're hacking a couple of things into it to make it work with supernaturals and humans. But it's going to be fun. Call it happens and hijinks. Would Cuddle Spouse like to say anything about the the game that you two co-wrote? Or would Cuddle Spouse prefer to be anonymous? Oh. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to say anything. <laughs> I just wanted to give you the opportunity to to chime in if you wanted, because you've made some side comments to Lee. So I wanted yeah. to give you a chance to just yeah. you, speak directly to the audience if, you, if you'd if like. You look at, if you look at Gambit or The Nest, 
The artwork was all done by Lex. The reason it looks good is Lex. It would have looked so great. Anything like that. Yeah. If it was just me. Mike Otto's made all the art and it looks really cool. And it looks like you have Gambit available for a very affordable price, two ninety nine US. Yeah. Yep, and if that's still not affordable for you, if you scroll down to the bottom, there's also community copies for free. Amazing. Same with the Nest. So if the Nest is $5 minimum, and Gambit's two ninety nine, and if that is too much, because I know it can be, I'm in the same boat. Community copies of both are available, so you can get it for free. So generous. I love the and artwork on the Nest. I would also. like to be a gamer that, and, and not be able to afford the games. It sucks. You want to play the thing, but you just don't have that spare money. Even and it like you just sat there like, and it's just such a little bit, but I just don't have it. But a lot of indie developers have community copies of their of their games on it, specifically for people like me who mm-hmm. can't afford it. And I'll pay for it if I can, and I'll come back later if I can, pay and give you some money for it. But I just like I did with um, you, Yasta. Mm-hmm. got the thing for free and subscribed because that I could manage whereas uh, single payment was a bit more than I could do but mm-hmm. that option that meant I could things like that and I think it's important to be affordable and to let people have the game if they want to play it that's a really important thing to me so I don't want anybody to not be able to play something of mine because they couldn't afford it or read something of mine because they couldn't afford it honestly my stuff's up for sale and on Amazon and places, but if you can't afford it, I will give it you. <laughs> I just want people to get the stuff mm-hmm. and be able to see it. That's why I post all my writing prompts online because here's a story for you and it's free. And I'm not guilting you about anything. There's a little note at the bottom of every story to say you can go here to donate or anything. That's it. Here is my story. Read. I just so lovely. I don't want to let people have the stuff. Honestly, I'd be terrible as a sales manager or something. Like, uh, <laughs> let them have it. Yeah. I feel like disabled people and poor people are the people who care the most about yeah. like financial accessibility for things. I'm both. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very yeah. Much, yeah. So I never want to make stuff that's not accessible to people mm-hmm. because I, I know exactly what that feels like and I know how horrible it can feel and I also know that taking community copies and things like that you can feel guilty if mm-hmm. you want to return the favor share it send other people to there give it a review rate it things like that don't cost yeah. you anything they take you a minute and they really help me every time you download a copy that goes on my stats on itch that's mm-hmm. helpful if you review it, that helps. If you share the link, that helps. They just take you a second to do. So yeah. I try and do it for people. And if anybody does it for me, I really appreciate that. Because if that's what you've got and that's what you're able to give, I thank you for it. And I don't yeah. I don't like art being out of the reach of people. Yeah. I, um, I, it always surprises me when people like give me a rating or a, a like a comment on my podcast because I forget that's there and then once in a while I'll go read it and it's been three months and someone left it and I'm like oh my gosh someone actually took the time to write a review of my show that's incredible <laughs> should probably be better at checking that 
there's a lot of things to check. I don't know. It's I gotta okay. write it down somewhere. It's it's hard. It's hard doing all this stuff with ADHD yeah. and like executive dysfunction. Everything goes in so many different places. Mm-hmm. As well, I think remembering to check everything is probably near impossible. Mm-hmm. Every so often, you're just gonna wind up sitting there going, "I haven't checked that in ages." It happens if somebody's left a review and you don't see it for three months. If it's one of those systems where you can reply three months later and say thank you, mm-hmm. that's always really appreciated. I like leaving reviews for people or shouting them out on Twitter and things like that. If they've done something good, tell them, tell the person, and then tell other people. Yeah, I'm a big proponent proponent of both of those things. Tell tell the person you like the thing, and then tell other people the thing was good. Those are the best two things you can do for an artist, I think. Yeah. Yeah, the word of mouth sort of promo thing, like, mm-hmm. is so great. I love retweeting things, or once in a while I'll find something and go give it to a specific friend. I'm like, hey, this reminded me of you in particular. Go look at yeah. this thing. <laughs> I love when people do that to me, and I love doing it to other people because it, it means that they thought about you. Somebody thought about yeah. you enough that they saw this when this person would enjoy that and took mm-hmm. the time to take it to you. Yeah. Plus, it's we're just a bunch of little corvids like flying around, finding shiny things and giving it to each other as presents. <laughs> yeah. It's so fun. Is there anything else you'd like to say about accessibility in tabletop role playing games? What are some steps you've taken to ensure accessibility, not only financially, but also other forms, right? For different learning styles and et cetera. The first thing that's most important to remember is that there are many different games and many different systems. So if one isn't right for you, it doesn't mean none are. Try something different instead. If this setting isn't working, try a different setting. If this system isn't working, try a different one. If you can figure out what it is that's not working for you, all the better, Mm -hmm. because then you know what you're looking to not get. But there are so many different artists creating TTRPGs and creating different systems. And they so many of them, like I do, they want you to take them and use them. They want you to make your own worlds for them and then tell them about it or take theirs and tell them what you thought of it. But there's some systems that are really complex. Stuff like the Pathfinder and Fate and some others. And then you've got things like uh, Apocalypse World, which are really simple. A couple of dice. A couple of dice, choose that skill. Mm. And what I've tried to do with Gambit, play a card see what the number is. That can get much more deep and technical when you want them to, but most of the time are just easier to play. And I think that it's really important to remember that not everything is going to suit you and not everybody is thinking about accessibility when they build their stuff either. Mm. And that can get really annoying. One of the things we do a lot is we hack systems that are more complex than we are willing to play and make them easier. Mm-hmm. That's always doable, but it means you have to understand the system to start with, which if that's a struggle, then you're stuck. That's where I find myself there quite a lot. Honestly, I find it difficult to understand dice systems because numbers and bonuses and stats I really struggle with. So Cuddles is pretty good with them and can help me hack them down to something that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And that's really helpful. And that came in really handy when building Gambit, honestly, because I built something that I could understand and play easily. 
So if I can understand it and play it easily, then most other people can too. And there were a lot of different systems. Some of them are just super simple. Rules light. You want to look for rules light games if you're struggling. A light, L-I-T-E. Look for those specifically because they're the ones that have the simpler rule sets that just take a couple of pages. There's even rules light games that fit on a business card, mm-hmm. things like that. Look for those because what you can do with those is anything. So don't ever think that TTRBG isn't for you because it's too complex. It's not. It's just the game that you're looking at. There'll be another one that will fit you perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it's just a case of looking sometimes until you find it. Try a few different ones. But there's so many different games and settings. It's always really sad that some of these really good ones just get ignored because everybody only knows the big ones. But if you look for indie designers, you'll find a lot of cool stuff and a lot of rules light. And if you struggle with the complex ones, go look there. You'll find something that suits. So are there any other projects that you're currently working on or do you feel like you already covered that? Because we talked about it a few minutes ago, but I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to make sure you mentioned. Void Watchers I've talked about. There's the anthology with cuddles and there's the new book I'm writing. That's, those are the main things currently going on. Where are Along the best... with the writing prompts. The yeah. writing prompts are every fortnight. I do those continuously. And where are the best places to hear about these projects or get updates or if people want to follow along and learn about it in the future? Obviously, uh, you can post it in self-promo in Discord, but yeah. where else? Uh, post it in your self-promo channel. I do that. Twitter's the best place to catch me rambling about stuff and sharing links and, st- and things like that. I've got a coffee page. If you go there and have a look at the blogs, you'll find I've started writing uh, blogs about writing. I've written the first couple so far, so there's more to come. Called them Inklings. Well, Cuddles has called them Inklings because Cuddles is better at naming things than me. She also named Gambit because <laughs> I'm terrible at naming things. So that's a good place as well. I post all my links on coffee for anything new as well. So those are the best places to catch anything. You can also follow me on it if you like for anything that I talk about if I make any changes to the game or when new stuff comes. But Twitter and coffee are the places I post most. Nice. That's awesome. So you recently started a project called hashtag trans lift on Twitter. Could you tell us more about that? Towards the end of last year, I was thinking I got all introspective at some point and started trying to think about what I could do for my community. I was, the past few years, I've not really been in a place where I've been able to do much, but being in a slightly better place now, I want to be able to. But of Mm -hmm. course that involves figuring out what I can do. And me figuring out what helpful thing I can do for a whole community of people, that's quite a task because my first instinct is, but I can't do anything. So I sat down and I talked to Cuddles because Cuddles will sit there and go, yeah, but you're good at this stuff. And she did. And I figured out two, two or three main things I can do. One of them is just to listen to people. I talk to people. I'm good one-on-one. People come talk to me about trans stuff, trans friends, trans kids, themselves, things like that. 
asking for advice or just wanting to talk about stuff, things like that. A couple of times someone will maybe ask me to come and talk to somebody or offer my insight on something and things like that. And I, I really enjoy doing that, actually. I like being able to help people and knowing that somebody's gone away from a conversation feeling better or knowing a little bit more or better able to support someone around them is always really nice feeling i like that feeling it's a good feeling because it means i've taken the experiences i've had and i've given them in a way that is helpful so that's important to me the other thing i realized i could do is use my bits of spare time and the contacts i have to try and help promote other trans people because there are a lot of trans people that make really cool stuff. It's true. And that could be art, writing, music, sculptures, blogs, anything. And so I thought, why not every month pick a trans creative person and spend the month hyping them on Twitter? Why not? So that's what I've done. I started off with the Double Clicks, who are a musical group, two siblings. And I did, I got an interview with Laser, who is uh, non-binary. Mm-hmm. That's on the Translift page. And I just spent the month hyping up them and their music and things like that, because they are a very cool couple of people and they do a lot of cool stuff. And they've been involved in the geek community for a long time and dealt with an awful lot of stuff. So that was really cool, uh, just being able to offer that for a bit. This month, I am hyping up Mal, who is an artist. Uh, she goes by Sian Hain, and he does these really cute little adorable D&D characters. There's a tiny cute little slime, which is the cutest thing in the world. Painted minifigures? Sleeping skeleton. No. Not many figures. What she does is he puts them on in tags and notebooks and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's there to help you when you're doing the campaign. Mm-hmm. So you've got notebooks and a journal and tags and player tags and all sorts of stuff that really organized people use. I am not that organized, but they're adorable and I want them. <laughs> Mal also did a commission for me and Cuddles for a wedding which was amazing. It was an autumn tree that was lined with trans-colored bunting that kind of cut out and stood up. They were amazing. Just fantastic. So I thought I'd like to promote Mal. And actually, a few days into this month, Mal reopened her shop that that he had on has on coffee and has immediately been making sales again because I've been shoving people over there on Twitter. Going, hey, go that way. So that's fun. I'm enjoying that. And that was some nice, that was a solid, this is working, which is really cool. Need to find somebody for next month now. But yeah, I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking for any trans creatives. Doesn't matter what they do. Creativity is anything. I just want to hype them a little bit make them feel good about what they do and show other people what they do. That's proving to be interesting. It's fun. I've got a interview with Mal that I'll be putting up later on in the month and I get a bio out of, out of them as well. And I'm on the hunt for next month's victim at the moment, actually. 
<laughs> so that was the other thing. And the last thing we figured that I could do is writing stuff. The reason I've started writing blogs about writing is because of that, because I have three decades of writing stories mm-hmm. and reading stories to pull on. And I tend to have more knowledge about something than I realize until I start trying to write about it. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I actually do know a bunch about this. <laughs> so the first couple have been written, the other one coming soon. I'm posting them on coffee and also trying to talk them into making the blog part of their site a bit more user-friendly. But what about if you did this with it, though? That's been happening on Twitter a little bit by dear. So hopefully they'll pay attention. Uh, the moment the blogs aren't quite as user-friendly as I'd like them to be, but there's a couple there. You just have to do a little scroll. Uh, the first one was the question that Carl's always asked me, which is mm-hmm. how in the world do you write action scenes? Mm-hmm. So I did a general overview of that. And then the second one I did was just what do you see in your head? Here, here are the questions to ask yourself to figure out how you see your stories. So it's just a whole blog full of question marks. Mm-hmm. I got this, do I do this? What about this? But I think it came out all right. Um, looking forward to doing more. I'm not sure what I'm going to do next, but I am happy to take topic suggestions. Mm-hmm. So if you want me to talk about anything writing, then tell me and I will put it on the list. That's so awesome. Please and that goes, that goes for everyone in the Twitch chat and listening to the podcast uh-huh. later. Everybody, anybody, I'm always open to new ideas of what to do. Always. Because at the end of the day, if somebody wants it, then that's what I prioritize. So awesome. Okay, I have approximately three more questions. These ones are all a little more gender focused. So I'll also just put a little final call to the audience here in Twitch. If you have any more questions for the AMA, please feel free to post them here in Twitch or in the Discord server and we'll make sure to pass them over to Lee. How did you choose your trans name? What's the story behind your name? I have two stories because I have two. (laughs) So my dead name, was something that, no, let me start that again. Oh, that's kind of quickly. So when I came out as trans, I didn't, I was far too busy with trying to figure out finishing my dissertations and finding a place to live and a job to afford it and so on and so forth and a whole bunch of mental health stuff. So I didn't really think too hard about my name. What I did was I had a short-lived relationship with somebody who the one good thing she did was give me a nickname Hmm. which was based on my dead name which was Lee and so I just adopted that and went with it never really thought about it occasionally over the last kind of eight years I've sat and gone "Mm, is that really my name though that doesn't entirely feel like my name though but all the effort and then telling people all over again and then changing like, all this stuff on IMDb and there's all these web series with my name on it, like books, I already changed the name once mm-hmm. and it was just exhausting to think about. Mm-hmm. But I got closer and closer to it and I was playing a game that Cuddles had introduced me to, and it was a game where you interact via text message with the characters. They've got canned answers and canned stuff, but they ask you for a name, and they call you that name. And I put in Lee, 
And every time one of them said that name, I squirmed. So I went, Cutters, I want a different name for this. What should I call myself? And the kitten was being ridiculous somewhere nearby. And the kitten's called Callie. So mm -hmm. Cuddle said, call yourself Cal. So I called myself Cal. And then the people in the game started calling me that. And I sat there going, I feel better, but not right. Mm. So I did that for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And then we got married and went on honeymoon. And one night in the middle of the honeymoon, I started telling Cuddles what was going on in my head about this, and why I wanted to change Lee and this, what was happening with Carl, that it was there when I played. And I started looking through like name websites and stuff started off at Cal and then just started clicking through nearby names to find something. Mm -hmm. And I found Caleb with a K and a Y. The meaning of it hit home and the name sounded good. And I kept it open in a browser tab for the next two weeks, mm -hmm. having told Cuddles about it, but not done anything about it. And then eventually sat down and went, okay, let's work this out. So me and Cuddles got married, but I don't yet have the gender recognition certificate I need to change my birth certificate and get married as my mm -hmm. actual name. Mm -hmm. Waiting to hear on that. Hopefully it'll show up soon. Mm -hmm. I've done all the stuff. We just didn't get it done in time for the ceremony. So the ceremony was done by the Methodist chaplain at the university. And instead of marrying us, get, did a whole intent to marriage thing and kept everything else the same. But we have to wait now for the certificate to come through, and then we're going to go total back over there, and the C of E chaplain is going to is going to marry us properly, legally, with a couple of witnesses, and sign the thing, and they'll be all married. But then we're going to change our names. We're both, we're changing both our surnames because we spent we spent ages trying to figure out what to do with our surnames because she's not attached to hers. Her family are not nice people. We have nothing to do with them. I'm not particularly attached to mine either. Mm -hmm. We thought about. I didn't want her. You didn't like the idea of me taking. Yeah, it. yeah. I didn't want her to take mine. Double barreling it just sounded daft. <laughs> what we decided to do was to take Cuddle's dad's name, because Cuddle Dad and Cuddle Nan are amazing. They have mm -hmm. been wonderful. Mm -hmm. They have helped us with everything and being amazing family, more than any of our other family have ever been. And we decided that we would take their last name instead. Hmm. So we're both going to be changing our last names. Seeing as we're doing that, we're both going to insert Cuddles as one of our middle names. And seeing as we're doing that anyway, why not change my day-to-day -day name to Caleb and mm -hmm. keep my creative stuff name as Lee? Mm -hmm. So now I have this wonderful little double weird thing going on where socially and family and things like that, I am Caleb. Anybody who just knows me from Twitter or from creative stuff tends to call me Lee, but friends call me Caleb. Mm -hmm. And at some point, like I figure people are going to start crossing over this line. Like people I've just met become friends and then they have to switch what they call me. But at the end of the day, I'm not too bothered. Lee's not a dead name. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't bother me. And Caleb's my actual name it's the name that actually fits it's like having your internet handle and your yeah real life name or yeah. your pen name and your exactly. real life it's why i've never used a uh, nickname on here with you but that's yeah, yeah. that's where you'll find all my creative stuff mm -hmm. caleb's there at the side 
Nice. So, yeah. It was an interesting process that took about eight years. But yeah. I got there in the end. You I did. did. <laughs> I love your chuckle. I wonder if you can share about an experience with gender euphoria. Yeah. Yeah. I really struggled when I first started wearing binders because I had quite a big chest and <clears throat> very difficult to find a binder that doesn't just look like you're wearing a sports bra. I eventually found one. It was double material, double material, stretchy stuff with Velcro and a vest so I could tuck it in because if, it, if I couldn't tuck it in, it would roll right up. Mm. I finally found one that gave me the right body shape. And I just stood there looking in the mirror of my little flat, admiring it for a while, already feeling it digging into my skin and that my asthma was going to start playing up because binder. Mm -hmm. But off I toddled to work for my shift and I walked in and I walked past my manager and she just turns to me and says, oh, you want steroids? <laughs> what? I hadn't even started hormones at this point. So no, <laughs> oh no, it, I got a new binder. Absolutely <laughs> mortified by her. I thought it was hilarious. That was I love that. I remember that moment. That's a good moment. <laughs> but That's so funny. You know, seeing myself growing a proper beard for the first time and hearing my voice lower. Mm -hmm. I worked after I started hormones, I worked from home at a call center. And my manager at the time, every week he'd do the QA on my calls and he'd mm -hmm. just comment on how lower my voice was getting. So, because to, to him, he's got a lovely record week by week, my voice dropping. That was just great because my voice dropped really quickly. Within the first couple of days, I got a frog in my throat. A couple of days later, I was down a notch and it kept dropping for ages. My voice is much lower than it used to be. Like, even a couple of years back, it was still a little bit higher than this. It's just kept, got really low. Mm -hmm. And it just, Things like that were great. And then, of course, people started calling me he. And, and then I started getting all uncomfortable all over again. And then I had to figure that out and why. Mm -hmm. Eventually I did. And I you know, started asking people to use they and them. And then there it was again. Every time a new person uses it, I get a little happy. It's, it's great. I love it. And sometimes I'll get dressed and put on my clothes and look in the mirror and I'll just hi monster this is monster this is my special friend my it's kid cat monster and then you had the white one with the two black dots on its head earlier oh that's that Callie that's Callie, okay. Callie. Yeah. no Fido cat is squeak she's our oldest monster's the middle cat Callie's the kitten I've had her since May yeah monster is my special baby aren't you <laughs> or I should say, I am Monster Special Baby. You know, right? Yeah. I got claimed the day she came home, and she's never really let go. I know it's. I, I know it's rather. It's okay. I know it's rather late over there, so I'll ask my last question, so you can wind yeah. down for your evening. So my final question is: What would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary and trans issues? It's important. I always want to convey to people is that nothing is set in stone nothing is 
finite. Everything is fluid and explorable. And if you are somebody who has had the joy of figuring out who you are, then that's amazing. And you're amazing. And it doesn't matter if you've gone through that and come out figuring you're trans, non-binary, age, gender fluid, or cis, anything. It doesn't matter. If you've gone through an actual process of figuring out what your gender is, in on the understanding that this binary thing that we're so obsessed with isn't necessarily right, then you've done a brave and amazing thing. And more people need to do it because few people are 100% anything. And mm-hmm. having a better understanding of yourself is always good. And I would encourage anybody to explore who they are in relation to how they feel their gender is and how they show their gender and how they may change that presentation around certain people and things like that. They're important things to understand about yourself. Without them, you're missing a piece of the jigsaw puzzle or a number of the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that are actually essential to getting the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that we've always been around there's never been a time when trans and non-binary people didn't exist. There's mm-hmm. been cultures that accepted us that have disappeared now and cultures that accept us that are still here, cultures that don't. And it's really important to understand, especially if you're somebody who's new to figuring out your transgender, is that it's okay. Whoever you are, whoever you're figuring out, it's okay. It's okay if that's not who you thought you were. It's okay if that's not who other people thought you were. It's okay if that changes through your life. It's okay. The most important thing is to be who you are. And if you are who you are, other people who are who they are will will see you. You can be seen by these, these people. Hello again, monster. And I can be seen by my monster. Hello. It's just, I see people that are so afraid of coming out and what that means. I, I've been that person myself. We've all been through that, which, and we've all seen it. We've all felt it. We've all seen other people have it. Just having somebody to tell you that whoever you figure out you are and whoever you figure out you are later in life if that changes you're fine you know who you are and that puts you into a small percentage of the rest of the world who has taken the time to do that and who you are is good you are good and you are okay and you're fine there's nothing wrong with you in fact quite the opposite Lee, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a a pleasure and a delight to have you here. I want to take a minute to invite our guests to check out our guests in the who are listening, our audience, to check out some of the resources that we've put together. So as always, there's my link tree and I threw in my Discord invite for anyone who wants to join the server and join the writing exercises that Lee is leading in the server. 
You can find that link both in the link tree and the direct link that I added to this the show. But for more info about Lee, we've got your Twitter, which is Lee K. Hume, H-U-L-M-E. Um, that's your handle on Twitter. To read more of Lee's stories, there's LeeHume.com. To check out TransLift, there's, of course, the hashtag TransLift, T-R-A-N-S-L-I-F-T, or there's the website LeeHume.com forward slash TransLift. To leave a tip, to see the blog entries, and even commission Lee, there's your Ko-Fi website, LeeHume. For tabletop games, including Gambit and The Nest, there's your itch.io page, LeeKHume.itch.io. And then on Twitch, if you all are interested in seeing the potential future offerings or streams or study hours, etc., you can check out twitch.tv forward slash team underscore cuddles. I love that your middle names are going to be cuddles in the future. That's so, so sweet. Yeah. It's so wonderful. It seemed like just the thing we had to do. We became the cuddles a few years ago and it just stuck. That's what we call each other most of the time or various so versions of it. And it's what other people call us and know us as oh, our house is cuddle towers. <laughs> it's just become a thing. And I, yeah, it had I to love be it so much. That's so there's, great. A definite, there's a definite yes on those writing streams and study hall things. So join the writers chat on the Discord and you will find out when I get to start doing that. It's so awesome. But in the meantime, there will be writing pumps starting. Is there is there anything else you want to say to the audience before we jet for the day? Just thank you. Thank you for listening. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for questions and comments. I've been reading the chat as we've gone, seeing all the cheers. Thank you. I really appreciate you that you guys coming or you folk coming and listening and hanging out. And I hope that my ramblings were vaguely interesting. thank you for having me on you're welcome it's been a pleasure and an honor thank you so much for spending precious time out of your night (laughs) not even your evening but your night to come I'll be happy to join you on anything anytime very kind